appreciate everyone being here this morning. We're going to be in James chapter 5. Uh, we're moving along through the book of James. Hopefully um, you're enjoying it in some way. It's, if you're enjoying it, you're a glutton for punishment, right? James is, is hard on us. Um, it is one of the most difficult books for us to really think about the, the implications of all the things that James is saying. And so we're leaving here week in and week out with bloody toes, and I myself have bloody toes all week as I'm considering uh, the messages that James is, is trying to convey to us, because this is at the core of what makes us different from the world around us. Uh, James is depicting for us the community that has been saved by the gospel and how they live and how they act in a way that's nothing like the people around us. Uh, and so as we've been studying through this, we've been seeing a lot of, of different uh, admonitions and, and encouragements and exhortations to love God more than we love this world and to restrain ourselves and control ourselves to be more like Christ, uh, which is by far the hardest thing for us to, uh, to, to accomplish in our lives. So we're going to continue that this morning with our study of James chapter 5 uh, and this picture of, of wealth. We're going to be studying about wealth and money, as, as we just read. Uh, we live in a culture that is uh, consumed with the idea of wealth. Uh, we always want more, right? I mean, the, the culture around us screams, more, 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 give us more. We're never satisfied. There's this huge hole inside of us, and we have somehow fallen under the, the, the seductive thought that if we just fill our, our lives with more stuff, more money, then that hole will finally be filled and everything inside of us will be made right. And we know that's not true if we are followers of Christ. We know that there is no hope in that, yet that pool is strong. Uh, like I said, it's seductive, this idea that maybe, just maybe, we can be filled. And like Solomon, we're sitting here grasping at the wind, finding that nothing really satisfies us. And that's ultimately what James is trying to get us to snap out of, uh, to stop feeling that way, to stop thinking that way, and, and to mature and to grow and to become a light for others to see the glory of God. As we open up, the, the text we're going to talk about. Notice the same phrase that we looked at last week, come now. now this is this invitation. Uh, before he said, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a city and we'll spend a year there and we'll trade and we'll make profit. He, he talks to those who are big planners, who have all this idea in their mind about what the future is going to hold and they're very arrogant in their thinking. And he, he, he brings them in and he tells them, you're wrong. You should have the attitude that says, if the Lord wills, we're going to live and do this or that. You need humility within you. And humility is what will result in the grace of God coming to us, which is what we really need. And so now he says, come now, you rich. Now, if anybody's going to be proud in the world, it's going to be the rich, right? I mean, uh, the rich are the, the ones who have the power, who have the prominence, who have the appearance of having everything put together. And so here he says, come now, you rich. Come and listen to what I have to tell you. This is a very important message, okay? Now, living in America, our ears should be attuned to what he's about to say because this is a directly applicable text for all of us. 
as we live our lives in this wonderful country where we have so much prosperity that we get to enjoy. Uh, that there's a very strict warning here that is meant especially for us. But this is hard to take. Okay? He tells us that there are miseries coming. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. He tells us who are rich to come to him and start weeping and start howling. Now, why do I got to do that? <laughs> I don't like that idea at all. I don't want to weep and howl. And he tells us that, uh, you know, there's miseries coming. You know, the picture here is not a gentle pat on the back saying, come now, you rich. You know, you're, you're, you're going to have a lot of suffering, but everything's going to be okay. You're going to be fine. You just, you just endure it and, and everything's going to be okay. No, he says, you need to start weeping and howling now. Because of the miseries that are in, in your future, you rich. Now, as we read that, we kind of wonder, is wealth an issue? Like, should we not be prosperous in our lives? Should we sell everything we have and give to the poor like the rich young ruler? Is, does God have something wrong, something against those who have enormous wealth and property? Well, no. No. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, we have numerous examples of men and women who are wealthy, and yet they are not shunned by God because they are men and women who are continually putting their faith and trusting God in every situation that they're entering into. And they're using their wealth for God's glory. So the wealth is not really the issue, but there is an issue. If you're rich, there is a danger. There is a problem that you are going to face in your riches, in your wealth, and you need to be ready for it. He says, there are miseries coming upon you. That doesn't sound good. Again, that does not sound good. We go back to the first chapter. We notice that James talks about the lowly brother boasting in his exaltation in verse 10 of chapter 1, and the rich in his humiliation. Because as the flower of the grass, he will pass away. So this is the same kind of picture as what he talked about before, but now he's going to give us additional information. The rich brother needs to boast in his humiliation, needs to boast in the loss of things in order to glorify God because that is better than to enjoy a lifetime of riches and to fall away. Notice he's not talking here about financial ruin. God is not, you know, James is not promising that you who are rich, you need to go ahead and start weeping and howling because God's going to take away every bit of wealth you have. That's not a threat from God that God is going to punish all the rich who become his people. He's going to take everything away from them. But he's, a, he's warning them because if we're rich, the tendency is to focus on our riches. The tendency is to pursue greater riches. And he says, if you're doing that, you're setting yourself up for spiritual ruin. For, for a life that is completely fruitless. 
It's like you put your ladder on a wall and you started climbing it and you got all the way up there really high and then you recognize you're on the wrong wall. You made a mistake. And all that work and all that effort is getting you nothing. It's getting you suffering. And James is trying to save us from ourselves. He's trying to prevent us from going down that course of despair. Having all of these wonderful things that we've accumulated for ourselves that do us no real good. Can you imagine coming to God on the judgment day and presenting him your resume of all that you've accomplished and all that you've acquired and expecting him to be amazed at those things? See, that's just a a picture of misery, that realization that you spent all your life pursuing something that was empty and vain and useless. James says, weep and howl. You got miseries coming. Is that not an attention grabber? Is that not something that makes you kind of tune in and say, wait a second. Um, what miseries are you talking about? What do you, what do you mean? I've got miseries coming. Uh, what do you mean? I need to start weeping and I need to start howling. Okay, now listen to what else he says. Verse 2, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, as you're reading through this, you're noticing a list of accusations against the rich. You have done this. You have done that. You have done this. You have done that. You're guilty, is what he's saying. You're guilty, you rich You've not used your riches the right way. You've pursued riches as though they are going to give you everything you need in life. And so there's a charge here against the rich saying that you have spiritually neglected your responsibilities for God in order to pursue your riches and your materialism. That's the charge he's making against the rich. And as you read through the list, you notice accusation after accusation and evidence after evidence. First thing he says is, your your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Now, I don't know how many of us have bought clothes and put them in our closet and still not used them. Uh, maybe quite a few. Uh, you know, that's, that's something that we do. I don't know how many of us have bought some technology, technology device or some impulse buy 
and we got it and we set it aside and we've just got so many other hobbies and so many other things to do that we've never even used it. And it's just fallen apart or become useless or obsolete this whole time. We just, we had this money and we wanted to spend it and so we spent it on something and then we didn't really ever need it and so it just sat there and it, it eroded, it, it dissolved, it corroded, it, it got messed up, moth-eaten, destroyed. And James is saying, that is evidence against you, Rich. That's evidence against you. You hoarded up all of your treasures and you held, you held on to those things until they were useless to anybody. Could have used them. You know, that garage is full of all those boxes and those things that you thought you needed to hold on to. You could have used them. You could have given them. You could have helped people. But instead, you held on to them. And you know what? That's exhibit A. It's exhibit A. That there is spiritual neglect due to your materialism. That you have, instead of doing good works and producing fruit for God with the riches that he's blessed you with, you have hoarded those things up and kept them for yourselves. Then he goes further. Verse 4, Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. There's just picture of the money that you have. You imagine you just you got money in your wallet and it's just calling out constantly. It's it's saying uh, injustice, underpaid. Uh, you took advantage of us. You refused to give me what you owed me. You held on to it all for yourself whenever you should have given me what I deserved. Just constantly calling out for justice. Can you imagine how awkward that would be? <laughs> Walking through the place and having your wallet calling out all these things that you have done against other people, taking advantage of them in order to you know, accrue wealth for yourself. All these things you've neglected to do that you could have done to someone who had need, but you just said like was pictured earlier to the person who shows up empty and naked and hungry, go and be warmed and be filled. You just did that instead of giving your money. You just held on to it. That money, that wealth you're holding on to, you're storing up for yourself, he says, is crying out against you. It's a witness on the stand. It tells God exactly what happened. It was there at the time. It saw the events that unfolded. And it knows that there's injustice. And he says, those cries have gone to the ears of God. He's heard this message. And he goes further. Verse 5, you have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. I don't know how many of us this hits, but probably most. You've lived in luxury and self-indulgence. You've used your funds, your blessings from God to just enjoy 
all the things that God has, has created and that men have created to enjoy. And you just, it says, fattened your hearts. Now, can you imagine a heart that's just engorged? Now, a heart throughout the Bible is used to represent the desires that are within us, right? And so your heart is just so busting at the seams with desires for everything everywhere. You want it all, and you want it now, and you're desiring everything that this world has to offer you. Whenever we know that what God wants is our heart to be solely devoted to Him. The picture of a fattened heart, as he says, is a fattened in the day of slaughter. Is a picture of a cow that is fattened up so that it can be put to death to provide a meal. You're a fatted, fattened cow, essentially. Satan has made you into this nice, big, juicy, fattened cow to satisfy and enjoy for himself. He's like, that's not who you're supposed to be. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. Just imagine all this life that we live that's so focused on all these physical things and all these satisfactions that we can get from everything that's here. He says, you fattened your heart for a day of slaughter. You've laid up treasures in the last days. This is just pointing to foolishness, you know? You just, you filled yourself with all this junk. And, and you're just going along your life, enjoying everything, not knowing what's ahead. Misery. Suffering. And punishment. Then he says, You have condemned and murdered the righteous person, he does not resist you. Now, this is interesting. As we look at this, you know, who's James talking to? You know what I mean? Like, you're listening to this, and you're just like, James is talking to people who aren't Christians, right? I mean, Christians don't murder people. They don't, they don't condemn and murder the righteous, right? They're, they are the righteous who are condemned and murdered. Well, the rich have power. Along with riches comes power an influence, an opportunity. And, and those riches and that power and that influence can be used in ways that bring about the suffering of others. In fact, they can be withheld at times that will bring about the suffering of others. And what James is pointing out here is that because you have loved your riches and loved your wealth and loved your prosperity so much that you have, you have decided to hold on to them there is this trail of carnage from the influence and the impact that you've had on all those around you as you've loved your money instead of loving God. You've damaged the spirituality of countless people. It's not necessarily a physical murdering. Jesus himself condemned anger as being guilty of murder uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. You know, you've heard it said, you shall not commit murder, but I say to you, don't be angry with your brother if you do your guilty. So he equated those two things. So it's not necessarily that they're causing people to be put to death, but it's this picture of, in your love of money, you've destroyed the spirituality of countless people. You've made 
a mess of things. Now, we have to ask ourselves the hard question. Are you guilty? Are you guilty? Guilty is the verdict that James is assuming on all the rich. The accusations are made right after he says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. And the, and the, the implication is, you're guilty if you're rich. James is talking again to Christians who are rich, but he's saying, you're guilty. You've done these things. Now, can you see where in your life you have done these things? Can you see your guilt? Are you willing to expose your heart enough to say, yeah, that's me? You see, that's what James is after. As he says all these things, he's after our hearts to help us open them up to being cut. Tenderizing them so that they can be cut. Uh, to understand that the, monies that the money that we spend, the money that we receive, has spiritual implications. My money is not about me. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I was given it. And James is trying to help me see I have a responsibility to use it in the right way. So as you're reading this and thinking about this, hopefully you're at this point where you're recognizing, what am I doing with my life, you know? Like, why is my budget spent on these things that are just materialistic, that are just self-indulgent and self-centered? Why do I care about money so much that I would wrong my brother or my neighbor, that I would, I would fight for more and more and more? And why would I think that this is so important to me? You know, what am I doing? Why am I entranced by the allure of wealth? Well, that's the American dream, isn't it? That's the American dream. That's the world we live in. And that American dream hijacks the kingdom of God in our hearts. It takes the steering wheel and it says, we're going this way. Because this is the way to find true satisfaction. The world has had its pull. The culture around us has deceived us. And caused us to think that this is the way we're supposed to live and act and be. But it's not. You see, these, these Christians here are not much different from us today. They've pursued the same things. And James is trying to help us understand they have similar kind of aspirations that they have to overcome. And we also have to overcome those aspirations, those achievements and successes and fulfillments in life in order to pursue a life that is valuable for the kingdom. So we need to figure out where our heart truly lies here. we got to open it up and do a little surgery and make some adjustments in the way we think about our wealth, the way we think about using our time, what we value, what we're pursuing. And we have to realize that the story of our lives is revealing a heart that's like Christ. Or a heart that's like the rest of this world.
It's being played out and it's being revealed. And God's not going to make a mistake. Whenever we get up there and we show him what we've done, he already knows. He hears, he sees, he understands the thoughts, the intentions of our hearts. And so James isn't saying all these accusations to just say, you're hopeless, you're lost, you're never going to get it right, and you're rich, and that's the end of, the, that's the end of your life. You know, that's it. You're, you're just going to be miserable. But it's like what Jesus said after the rich young ruler went away, sorrowful, to his disciples. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And even though we have been overcome by the allure of wealth and success and prosperity, we can turn and we can change. And that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to overcome this. So let's talk about this. How are we going to overcome this? We see it's not, with us it's impossible, right? We can't grit our teeth and just suffer through a total money makeover, you know, uh, and completely devote ourselves, but we need help. If we're falling back into this time and time again, we need help. We need to, number one, what we're doing today. We need to recognize the gravity of the problem. We're guilty, and we need to weep and, and, and wail because there are miseries ahead if we continue down this path. And then we need to repent and turn away from this life that's focused on my prosperity. My riches will be moth-eaten and corroded if I continue down this path. And instead, I need to lay up treasures where moth and rust does not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Do you have enough faith to believe what Jesus said? That the the gifts that you give away, the the love that you share in spreading your wealth and and sharing your wealth and sharing your efforts and sharing your time, that they will result in treasures in heaven. That takes faith, right? I can't see that bank account. (laughs) I don't know how much money is in it. And, And as I do something good, that money disappears on me and I don't know where it went or how much of it really counted if my heart was right in the giving and if it counted at all. Like, you need faith to believe that there's a treasure in heaven. But Jesus also says that if we make our treasures in heaven, that's where our heart will be. we make our treasures on earth, then here is where our heart will be. So we have a very important decision that we need to make to turn away from laying up wealth for ourselves on this earth and turn toward laying up treasures in heaven. And we need to continue to persist in that. As you leave this place and you've studied this text, there's going to be a tendency to forget it in a few weeks. Next month, go right back into the way of everyone else in the world. And you need to stay in the community of believers and be encouraged and be reminded that we're not here to live for ourselves, but we're living for the kingdom and the world that's to come. And you don't need to give up on us. And you don't need to go and and serve the world and say, there's no hope for me. I'll never make it because you see all these failures time and time again. Remember, 
It's impossible for you to do this, but God can help. And you need to turn to God's people for encouragement as we all are struggling through this together. But ultimately, if you want to overcome this, you got to see you got to see Jesus. You got to see him. He was in heaven. He had all the riches, all the power, all the glory of God. And he gave them all up to come down to earth to serve you, to die on a cross so that you could be forgiven of all this mess, all these failures, all these shortcomings. And you can be accepted and I can be accepted as a child of God who's flawed. So are you willing to weep and wail? And are you willing to make a change in your life and purify your hearts, you double-minded? Are you willing to pursue God alone instead of pursuing the world and God, which will never work? I hope you are. I hope I am. I hope we're willing to, to make the changes that are needed in our lives to, to establish ourselves as lights that our brethren need and that our community needs. So that we can grow to praise and glorify God and lay up treasures in heaven and enjoy eternity where the least will be the greatest. And the greatest will be the least. So let that be our our hope and our pursuit. If you're here today and you've not submitted your life to Christ and you've not uh, received the promises of blessing when this life is over, uh, you're in a lost state. And all those treasures that you have and all these things that you're working for and all these things that you're pursuing, they're a dead end. You don't take them with you whenever you die. Instead, there is suffering and misery to come. And we don't want you to experience any of that. We want you to devote your life to Christ, devote your life to God, and help us to lift one another up so that many can experience the salvation and the hope that God is offering to a bunch of imperfect people. And if you're making mistakes and you need prayers and you need help, we're happy to help you uh, and encourage you in any way we can. If you've never submitted your life to Christ, then let us know. Submit your life to Christ now before it's eternally too late. Please come as we stand and as we sing.